now we're back in Luke, so we're just going to keep going. Um, just a quick recap of where we were last time. Um, Jesus, last week we read about, well, a couple of, uh, like a while ago, before the summer series, uh, that we took a break from Luke for the summer series, um, we read about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on a mission to go and to heal and to preach the good news and that sort of stuff. Then last week we read the passage that was just the beginning of this video, where now what Jesus does is he does the exact same thing, but he does it with the 72 others. So he sends this bigger group of disciples. So we always think about Jesus with just his 12 guys wandering around, but there were actually bigger crowds, and um, uh, one of those crowds was a group of 72 folks, and so he sent them out. And last week we talked about um, the mission of the church and kind of the point and loving people and being out there in the world and sharing the gospel. Um, and we read the verse, you know, pray for more workers of the harvest, seek out people of peace, um, bless them, heal them, share the gospel, proclaim the kingdom. And we talked about our Pabst Blue Ribbon um, uh, pathway. So at the porch, we do this thing where we talk about how do we love the people in our city. We, we stole the acronym from a friend of mine, um, but it's based off of that beer, Pabst Blue Ribbon. So it's pray for people, ask them about their lives, bless them in ways nobody else would. Uh, share your story with them and talk about the gospel, talk about gospel truth. And that's, you know, those kind of overlap. It's not a, like a linear pathway, but we talked all about the Pabst pathway. Um, and we kind of ended there because we didn't, originally this passage, these two sermons were going to be one passage or one sermon. Um, but I ended there because I really wanted to just beat you guys over the head with that Pabst stuff. And I mean, we're going to do that. We're going to take this pathway and we're going to beat it to death. And we're going to talk about it all the time. We have our little magnets on the back and the stickers on the back table. You can take it home so you can remember the pathway. Like this is one of the most important things at the porch I want you guys to remember is this Pabst pathway. And to be thinking about how am I loving my neighbors? How am I building connections with people? Um, so anyway, we ended there last time. But today what we're going to talk about now is what's our motivation for this, for this sort of love and for serving our neighbors in ways nobody else would and coworkers. And we've shared a lot of these stories. Um, imagine for a sec, uh, Melissa's birthday comes around. It's in May sometime. And <laughs> just kidding. And I know when her birthday is. Uh, and um, so her birthday comes around and I make a really nice dinner, right? Well, that's never happened because I don't know how to cook, right? I make, I, I, Microwave a really mean bowl of mac and cheese for her. Just kidding, she can't eat that. Um, no, I go all out, make this uh, big dinner, and it's all elaborate, probably order out. And uh, she comes home, and there's flowers, it's a whole thing, and she's like, oh, this is so sweet, you know, thanks for doing this. And I'll say, well, I think it's really stupid, but I just didn't want to get in trouble. And I know it's your birthday, and I know I have to, fly, I have to buy stupid flowers, and like, I know you, you know, I have to make dinner, I don't want to make dinner, you know, but I just didn't want to get in trouble. Now, the point is, the action, the making dinner and buying flowers is the same, but if I said that to her, all of a sudden I lose all of the brownie points, right? The husband brownie points. You can't, like the motivation for stuff matters, right? And part of the problem with, I think, a lot of like evangelicals and evangelical faith is like people will do something that's right or close to right for like the absolutely wrong reason. And I think that's really terrible <laughs> because people notice that stuff, right? And so we want to be out there and we want to be loving people and serving people, but we want to do it for the right reasons. And our motivation for engaging in our Pabst pathway and all this stuff, that matters to God. And so do you see how this then 
ties into the, the mission of the 72. Why did they go out? And now that they're going to come back, we're going to ask this question, right? What's our motivation for the mission? And they're going to come back, and then Jesus is going to talk to them about the motivation. So um, we are going to be in verse 11. There's going to be a little overlap, because we read this verse last week. We didn't super talk about it. Um, verse 11. Did that change behind me? Hey, look at that. All right. Uh, Even the dust of your town uh, that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So this is the part where Jesus, the end of what Jesus is telling them last week um, about the dust and all that stuff. Now, real quick, we're going to start with not what's our motivation to share the gospel, but there's kind of a hint here. And sometimes what's the motivation not to share the gospel? A lot of times we shrink back from doing the things that Jesus calls us to do, to love people in radical ways and to talk about biblical truth. We shrink back from this because, um, because it's, right, it's scary and oftentimes we'd be shamed for it. Right? There's a verse in Romans um, that's in the U version. I don't have it in the slides. Uh, Romans 1.16, we've read this verse a couple of times. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save everybody, you know, all kinds of people is what that means. Like the, these barriers are broken down. Um, but if he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the implication there is that a lot of times people are. And our culture where we live is great at shaming people for believing in the things of Scripture, right? And the gospel will say things that are not always popular. And so our instinct is to go, ah, we don't want to talk about that stuff with people. Because what if, and then we come up with all these different scenarios. And sometimes that stuff is uh, true. Like, I mean, people will actually say that, you know, people will push back. Um, but remember from a couple of verses before in Romans, in 1.14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, which was just a way to say the really educated people and the less educated people. Uh, so to kind of to everybody. I'm under obligation to everybody, both to the wise and the foolish, right? So obligation, we talked about that word before. What it means there really is I'm in debt. I owe people gospel truth because God has given me the gospel. And so when we do get pushback on the things of scripture as we share our lives and uh, with our neighbors and our friends. When, when we do sort of get that shame, that pushback, how do we respond? Well, the first and most important thing, and this is what we talked about last week, is we never stop loving people. There's never an excuse. I think Kayla put that on the Instagram. We talked about that, you know, a quote from last week's sermon. But there's nothing in the Bible that says you should ever stop loving people. Okay, I shared this part of my life, and they said, ah, I don't like that. Well, I'm going to move on to the next guy, and I'm going to stop talking to this. That doesn't make any sense, right? We've got to continue to love people. There's even a spot in Hebrews where it was talking about Jesus and sort of the ultimate shame. And if you remember, hanging on the cross, people are literally making fun of him, right? As if it's not bad enough to go through this agonizing death. It's also like the ultimate shame. He's hanging naked. And it says in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who was for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So basically what that says is um, because he wanted to save the people that were making fun of him, he endured the cross, but he despised the shame, right? So what that means is we don't celebrate when people make fun of us and, you know, uh, don't agree or whatever it is in an unkind manner. Right? We despise the shame. That's not a good thing to do, but we love the people 
we're called to love people the way Jesus did. And he loved them to the point of, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give up everything and I'm going to die for you. And so um, this verse, what it's talking about here is, and I'm not going to get into this all because we, we talked about this for 10 minutes last week, but the idea of shaking the dust off the feet. So Jesus sends these guys out to these different towns and he says, if they reject you, turn around, shake the dust off your feet. Like Jehovah's Witnesses still practice this, right? They've done this to me at my house, right? They'll shake the dust off the feet. Um, but the three things I said about this, just quick recap, is one, this wasn't a permanent thing. So in just a few books later, you know, a few years later in the story, all these disciples are back in these same towns. Uh, the second thing is this was specifically first century Jewish folks doing this to first century, other first century Jewish folks. And what they're doing is they're flipping a cultural practice. So Jewish people would do this to Gentiles when they would leave a Gentile area. And so what he's saying is, don't assume that just because you were born part of this covenant that you're in, like you have this privilege. He's, he's like kind of saying, you know, check their privilege. And then again, we're never called to stop loving people. And the example I gave was this guy, Sothenes, who was a persecutor of the apostle Paul, who then becomes one of the, you know, becomes a believer. So um, Jesus continues, though, talking about this judgment and this stuff. He says in verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So you guys know the story of Sodom. It's kind of a famous biblical story, right? I feel like people even who have no experience with the Bible could tell you about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? Destroyed. Yeah, they get destroyed. How do they get destroyed? What's the phrase from the King James? Fire and brimstone, Fire and brimstone right? And so a lot of people outside the church assume that this is our favorite thing in the whole world, right? Fire and brimstone. Although one of the only instances we have where, you remember the Sons of Thunder? We talked about that with James and John. Lord, call down fire and thunder on these guys. And Jesus is like, all right, calm down, guys. <laughs> right? That's not what we're doing here. But uh, so the story, okay, yeah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is it was a wicked area and the Lord in the Old Testament uh, judged them. And so when Jesus talks about Sodom, it, Sodom and Gomorrah kind of became a picture for judgment, right? Um, just like we, like a picture for, I don't know, what's something else, like a battlefield. We think of Gettysburg. It's like Gettysburg, you would say, if you're talking about a battlefield, right? Um, so Jesus picks up on that picture, and he says, look, rejecting the gospel story, it's going to be worse in the end for them than it would be for Sodom. These are very harsh words. Jesus uh, kind of has this reputation of, well, church people always sort of distort what Jesus was really about. He was some sort of a hippie who just loved people, and which, you know, I mean, yes, he was the most loving person of all time, but part of that love was to share the reality that God takes sin very seriously. And in the end, you know, the gospel story is that sin will be judged, either on the cross and re through repentance and accepting Jesus, or um, it'll be judged by God in the end. And that theme of judgment pops up all throughout um, all throughout scripture. Look, Jesus continues here talking about this. He says, Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, which was a, a way to like publicly mourn and lament. Um, but it would be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, would you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. So again, Jesus picks up this sort of Old Testament prophetic language. Woe to you, which was not a promise of a specific event. It was just kind of the Old Testament, or you know, the, the, the old, yeah, I guess Old Testament kind of way to say, man, sucks to be you, 
right? Like, whoa, for, you know, that's what that means. Um, and so what he's doing here, though, is this is really interesting. He's shaking up the Israelite-Gentile dynamic. So Jesus is a Jewish preacher preaching to other Jewish towns. And he, at this point, the mission has not really expanded past the nation of Israel. And so, to, you know, to us Gentiles, right? So the, um, Jesus is preaching to these guys, and he's saying, look, you guys have this crazy high view of who you are, that you're just in because you're Jewish and you're part of the Old Testament covenant and all this stuff. And so he says here specifically, like, these Jewish towns that he had been to, rejecting Jesus, it's going to be worse for you than these guys that you guys all love to talk about how much they were judged. Sodom and Gomorrah, and the other one is Tyre and Sidon. If you read the, the minor prophets, those two towns pop up constantly as like the other Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Pictures of judgment. And so Jesus is really shaking it up and kind of, you know, what's that phrase now? Check your privilege kind of a thing. This is what he's telling these folks is there's reality to this and you could potentially be facing um, this judgment. And so what he's doing is he's telling the 72 before they go out that what we talked about last week, yes, you have to, to heal and alleviate people's physical needs in ways that you can. Uh, you need to meet them where they are and ask them about their lives and bless them in ways nobody else would and pray for them and all that stuff. But at the same time, then you have to be real about what the Bible says is the story of God, is the entire gospel picture. But here's the, here's the next question, though, is this seems like pretty heavy stuff to talk to people about. And um, we've, we said at the end of last week that a lot of churches, what they do is they send people out and they tell them, preach all this stuff to people you have no relationships with, right? So, um, uh, you know, do the sharing, the last two parts of our acronym, share about your life and talk about the gospel, but don't do the beginning, right? Don't pray for people. Don't ask them about their lives. Uh, don't really get to know them. Don't bless them in ways nobody else would, right? And so just thinking about all this, it sort of asks the question, man, this is heavy stuff, isn't it? To talk about with people, right? Judgment and grace and love and all, like these are heavy, weighty topics. So the question then is, do we have the right to sort of speak for God, right? You know, I've, uh, one of the big, I, you know, I see online a lot, the critiques of uh, pastors and religion and religious people is just like, who are you? How do you know? You know, like, aren't you just some guy? And the answer is, yeah, you know, we are. We're just some dude, right? <laughs> um, but here's what Jesus says. This is very important. Look, at, he says, to the, the one who hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me, and the one who rejects him who sent me, um, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So do you see that chain? God speaks through Jesus, and Jesus speaks through his people. Now, this, we have to be good at studying the Bible, though. So this, in this specific context, was a, was a, um, a command to just 72 people who aren't in the room with us today. So the question is, can we bridge this command to us now? Because not all biblical commands are just like, this is for all time. So this is a question. Is this for all time? I think it is, because in Acts 1.8, Right, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so that's Jesus' charge to the church, is to take this gospel stuff that the 72 did, that the 12 did, take this to the ends of the earth. And there's no way that we can say the 12 disciples or the 100 people that were there when Jesus gave that command that they took it to the ends of the earth. This is a church-wide, uh, this is supposed to be a command for all of us. And so think about how heavy that is, though. We have to think about this responsibility 
in its context is Jesus is saying when you're loving people and you're talking to them about the things of spirituality and the things of the Lord and what you know about the Bible and your story about how you came to meet the Lord, when you're talking about that stuff, Jesus says you're speaking for me. Now, I'll, I'll extend this out to say that doesn't mean we speak for Jesus in everything in the whole, you know what I mean? Like this is kind of limited to this mission of God. I think church people will overdo it sometimes, right? Like Jesus says you can't be a Dodgers fan. It's probably true, but uh, you guys going to LA, right? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, but we want to go out and we want to do this just like Jesus did. So uh, Jesus sent these guys. Okay, so uh, the, the 72, they go out and look what happens in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they returned from this ministry, this, this traveling, you know, they, went, they were sent out two by two to different towns. And they, come, they all come back, and they're so excited. The mission was successful, but they're especially excited about one aspect, which is a little weird, right? The power over demons. We're not going to get into the whole demonic thing. We've talked about that in other sermons. Um, but it's interesting that Jesus actually didn't send them out like he did when the 12 went out. He told them specifically, cast out demons. But when he sent the 72, he didn't say that. He just said, heal people. And so it's interesting, though, that as they went out and they preached the gospel, the kingdom of God moved forward and the kingdom of the enemy was pushed back. Um, and so Jesus says in verse 18, this is connected. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So in Greek, what Jesus literally says is, because you, know, you can't just one-to-one -one translate from language to language and sometimes it's kind of weird. So in, this is one of those spots where it's important. In Greek, the verb is actually important. It says, I was watching Satan fall. That doesn't make sense in English. But the idea was when you were out there, I was watching Satan fall. So um, uh, what Jesus is saying here is he's not giving, sometimes this verse is sort of misquoted, Jesus, like, Jesus is giving the whole story of Satan from the beginning of time. He fell from heaven, yada, yada, right? That's not exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, while you guys were out there engaged in the mission and you were sharing the gospel with people and you were getting them ready for me coming into their town, the kingdom of Satan was pushed back. So this specific instance, Satan, uh, like falling, right? Satan was falling down. That's the idea. And so he says, because of that, look, you guys have this authority over, and then this is a really weird verse, right? Um, I don't, you know, like I have a tattoo of a verse here on my arm, right? Other people have tattoos of verses. I never met anybody with a tattoo of uh, Luke 10, 19, right? Behold, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions. You know, at a face value, this is kind of a weird verse, right? This is where the West Virginia snake handlers, isn't it West Virginia? Is it, anybody know? There's like one state that like still has a bunch of these churches where they, I watched a documentary on them. They're holding the rattle. Look, let me tell you, snakes freak me out. I'm not a snake guy, right? Uh, I tried to get over it and I bought a snake once when I was in high school and it bit me all the time and now I'm even more afraid of snakes. So I don't get these snake handler churches anyway, just aside. But anyway, the idea is, um, oh yeah, there's this verse and there's one other verse kind of like it in Mark. I'm gonna handle all these snakes and they're not even gonna hurt me. Okay, this is again a, a misuse of, a misreading, I'll say, of the Bible. The Bible is full of figurative language. And so we take the Bible literally, but what that means is we take it uh, literally, um, even figurative language is figurative, right? People use these, these sort of metaphors and this sort of stuff. And this is what Jesus is doing, right? Satan is always uh, connected with serpents and that sort of stuff in the Bible. And it's very clear what Jesus is saying when you're not trying to make this overly literal, right? Is 
you guys went out, you pushed the kingdom of Satan back, I watched it happen, I watched him fall, and now going forward, you have the authority to keep doing that. Right? You have the authority to not worry about the enemy while you're going out, because um, I'm telling you, go out there and push the kingdom of Satan back. All right, so again, one of my favorite things to do is try to imagine what it's like to be in this story. Right? These were real, actual people, they walked around, they did this stuff. So Imagine you are one of these 72 disciples. You meet Jesus at some point and you start to follow him. You see him come to town. You watch him heal people maybe, somebody in your family. It's amazing. And then you, you hear him teach and he teaches like nobody else, right? Like the, the religious leaders of the day were like throwing these burdens and burdens upon people and um, they were hypocrites, right? They were getting rich off of this stuff and boy, it's just not a great system. And then here comes this guy who tells you to love people and that the kingdom of God has come, and that the hope of God has come. <clears throat> and so you're transformed by this teaching, his humility. His, instead of burdens, he's, his teaching is freeing. And so you, you join up, and you start following him around a little bit. And uh, one day you get sent out on a mission, and in the beginning of chapter 10, he gives you those clear instructions, right? You need to go out two by two and just get towns ready because the mission of God is coming, right? The, Jesus is coming into these various towns, and so you, you pair up with some guy, let's call him uh, Jeremiah, because I just made up a name. I don't know. That sounds like a Bible name, right? So your partner is a guy named Jeremiah. And so you and Jeremiah get together. You walk over, and Peter and John, the two kind of lead disciples, are, parent, are sending people to towns. They've got a little ledger. And, okay, uh, you know, you and Jeremiah, you go up, and they tell you, okay, you're going to go to a town called Bethany. It's pretty close to Jerusalem. It's like, you know, a week and a half or something to walk there. So you and Jeremiah get ready, um, you pack light just like Jesus said, and you start walking. And it's, you know, anybody here ever walked for like a week, every day? Like, you know, one of those real hikes that they make movies about? Okay, this is what these people did, um, but they didn't go to REI and buy $200 hiking boots that are waterproof and cushioned soles and you have to break them in, right? They're walking in sandals or no shoes, right? So you, it's a pretty grueling walk, and you know, you eventually, and it's hot there too, right? Um, we think of Israel as a desert more, but in the first century, it was a lot more lush, but it was still, it was very hot. And um, you come to the town, you, get, you, you arrive at Bethany, and some folks m meet you and greet you. Hey, you know, you guys are travelers, what are you up to? This is a hospitality culture, so obviously a lot of people came up and said, hey, after meeting a few people who kind of know what you're about, you're invited to stay with this lovely family. And then the next day is Sabbath, so you get up at the synagogue, you're an invited guest at the synagogue, and you get up, and you start talking, and you start to share about your story. Look, this is what I saw Jesus do. This is the things he's teaching. Let me tell you about loving your enemies, and everybody's like, whoa, this is nuts, right? And the light of the world and all this stuff that you heard him preach at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, uh, you know, and maybe in the middle of your sermon, something kind of like what would happen to Jesus happens. A guy gets up and uh, is oppressed by a demon, and so your buddy Jeremiah gets up and prays for him, and then all of a sudden he's better. He starts crying. Everybody's amazed. Uh, maybe somebody else comes up and you pray for them and they're healed um, from sickness, whatever it is. And this happens kind of a couple of more times and for a few days. And the whole town gets super excited. But your whole mission is to tell them, guys, we're just like the forerunners. Jesus is coming. So I just want you guys to be like prepped and ready so that when Jesus comes, you invite him to the synagogue and you guys can uh, hear all about him. And then uh, you have to head back at the end of the week. You're there for a couple of days, whatever it is. I don't know actually how long. It doesn't say how long these guys were around. Um, so you turn around and you start your walk back for another week. Um, 
And Israel had a lot of mountains. So one of these ways was up a mountain and one of these ways was down a mountain. Whatever it is, it's hot, uh, but you're just so, um, do people say jazzed anymore? You're jazzed up, right? I don't know. Uh, you're excited about your success. And so you walk back and you're one of the first people that gets back to the camp where Jesus and the 12 disciples are still hanging out. And so you sit around the fire that night and it's you and it's Jesus and maybe some of the disciples and a couple of other people. It's a pretty small group. And you start sharing about what happens. Then you wake up the next morning and all of a sudden the rest of the 72 start pouring in. And you're watching people come over the hill and everybody is just beaming. Have you ever been a, in a crowd where everybody's beaming? Like a walk-off, home run kind of beaming, right? Okay, I watch a lot of baseball, guys. Like a walk-off, Gosman, sack fly the other day kind of beaming. Okay, so everybody is just beaming and uh, Jesus gathers the entire group. So the 12 and the 72 and all the women that were with them, like it's a group of 100 and something people are all hanging out. And two by two, right, these groups, what's uh, 72 divided by two? 36, there you go. So 36 groups get up and they start sharing everything that happened, you know, and you hear about from town to town. And the more you hear, the more excited you are. And there are probably a couple of, they chased us out of town. They didn't like us. But more, it seems like more and more of these people, these guys were excited. Um, and it says here, uh, oh wait, uh, yeah, so they're, they're coming back. And then verse 20, look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus says to this group who just went on this amazing mission and is so excited about everything that's happening. Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Okay, so this is the key verse in our passage today as we talk about our motivation for what we're supposed to be, how we do ministry and how we engage with our neighbors and love the people around us. This is it, because here's the danger, and this is a danger I have seen happen so often, is ministry success and doing the things of the kingdom of God, it feels good, and that feeling then turns into moralism. I'm gonna do this because I have to impress God with how good I am. And if I do these things, and I love my enemy, and I buy my neighbor dinner, and I go out of my way to help people, and I do this stuff, now God loves me a little bit more. And all that does is it turns you into a self-righteous punk. It, it fills you with pride. And pride is the opposite of what Jesus calls his people to be. We're supposed to be humble. And so we can't do this, right? Um, there was a story of, like, we have to be weary of this. There's a story from that Mars Hill podcast, if anybody was listening to that. Anyway, there was a pastor. His name was Joshua Harris. And he, he wrote a book when he was 19. And it was a terrible book. I actually, well, okay, I, I assume it was terrible. I never read it. I read bits and pieces. Anyway, it was, uh, what was the book called? Something about dating? I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Okay, so he wrote this book. So here's a 19-year-old kid in a big, giant evangelical church, somewhere where they have big, giant evangelical churches, you know. I don't know, Missouri or Kansas or I don't know, somewhere over there. Anyway, so he, he's 19, and he wrote a book about marriage. And I'm like, really, dude, what do you know about marriage? You're 19. <laughs> you know, like marriage and dating and, and love relationships. And he had this, this huge success, turned into a megachurch pastor. Well, anyway, all of this success, what it did was, you know, kind of, I mean, and he'll talk about this, how it ruined him and it went to his head. And now he's completely walked away from the faith, right? He's not, a, not only is he not a pastor, he's not a believer anymore, is what he says. Um, he, and he'll say, like, this is a cautionary tale of, like, he's, he'll say, like, my entire ministry was for the wrong reason. 
um, and now that he doesn't really believe any of this stuff. And so we can't be like him. We can't get our ultimate joy from ministry success because uh, it won't sustain it. And so what we should do, Jesus says, is but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So this is going to get a little theological and funky, but I want to go through some of this. Um, you know, I was on Reddit the other day. John, how come half of your sermon illustrations are from Reddit quotes? Because I go on Reddit all day, that's why. Uh, so I was on Reddit the other day, and there were there's a subreddit called Ask Reddit, and somebody said, what's something you wish you had learned earlier in life? And there were a lot of like really good answers about finances and stuff like that. But one guy put this. Uh, I didn't write the exact quote down. He said something like, acting to get love will ruin you. Acting out of love will make you happy. And he was talking about specifically like dating and romantic relationships. But I read that and I thought, hey, that's kind of biblical, right? We don't work in the kingdom of God to be loved. We work out of love. And so... Um, this is what Jesus is talking about. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So where are they written? What is this written in heaven? What is Jesus talking about? All right, so here we go. Um, I actually put these verses up here. This is Revelation 11, I'm sorry, 20, 11 through 15. This is called the book of life, right? Then I saw, this is the end of the story. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And then the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, uh, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so again, this is that judgment. It's kind of that heavy theme. But there are a few times um, that you really don't want your name written down. Okay, like uh, the chalkboard in elementary school. Right, you had teachers that did this. Write your name on the board and give you a check. And then another check and then another check and you go home. I was really good at seeing how many checks uh, you, <laughs> sorry, that you could get before you guys sent home. I was a terrible kid. Or I'll tell you, like, in a, I think I've told this story just real quick. When I was in college, I went to the same college as my brother. And I got there, and it was my first math class um, at this school. I had transferred, so it was my first math class at this school. And the guy was, it was the first class, so the teacher was just reading roll to make sure everybody was there. And he goes, John Brackett? And I said, you know, yeah, I'm back here. He goes, are you Chris Brackett's brother? I went, uh-oh, yeah. And he turned around, this is college. He wrote my name on the board, and he put a check next to it. <laughs> And, and then he just kept reading the roll. I was like real confused. Afterwards, I went up and asked him about it and he, he wouldn't really tell me. So then I went home and I asked Chris about it. And he was like, oh, so he, Chris, my brother is actually smart. So he wasn't in the idiot math. He was in some smart math class that this guy took. With all that math, I don't understand with graphs and uh, takes a whole chalkboard. And at some point, something was wrong with this math problem and the teacher couldn't figure it out. And my brother raised his hand and asked him if he ever thought about teaching history. <laughs> The guy kicked him out of the semester. He had to take the whole class again. And then the next time he ran into a bracket was me, right? So this is a time you don't want your name on the board. And, you know, uh, what are some other examples, right? Court documents, in most cases, you probably don't want your name in most court documents. Um, when a cop's writing a ticket, not a good time to have your name written down. Uh, but the book of life from Revelation, this is one of those times where it's great to have your name written down. Um, sorry, Santa, this is the real list that matters, right? This is the book of the names of the people who are redeemed, those who are part of the kingdom of God, those who have surrendered their life, 
put their faith in Jesus and have repented of sin. But how do I, this is where we're going to get a little bit theological. And so uh, how do I get my name in that book? That's the question. Now, a lot of folks think that there's somebody, uh, well, you, you get your name as soon as you put your faith in Jesus of your own will, and then your name gets put in the book. Um, but if you, like that pastor, if you walk away from faith, Jesus gets the eraser out, right? And he erases your name from the book. And they think that's how it works. Um, I even heard a pastor do a whole sermon once about the type of paper they used was really easy to wipe the ink off and all this. Like he went to this whole thing that's, I don't know where he got all that from. Because then when I tried to look it up, I couldn't find that stuff anywhere. I think he made it up. Um, <laughs> but uh, let me walk you through this because I think this is important to what Jesus is getting at. Your salvation worked like this. You were, salvation works like this. You're dead in your sins, completely dead, like the dry bones in Ezekiel. And then God brings you back to life. And so your salvation was secured and made ready before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eye. And so in Reformation theology, and this is not going to be a whole sermon on this because it'll be a sermon series someday. And um, in Reformation theology, Reformed theology, we call this election. And again, I'm not going to get into this whole thing. But uh, what election means is this, is that God puts a new heart within his people, and then he saves those people based out of grace and not anything else. And so let's ask this question then. When was my name written in that book? I believe I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus. When was the name John Brackett written in the book of life? Was it when I became a believer, when I was in, what was I, like high school maybe? Uh, no, look at what it says here. Um, in Revelation 17:8, look towards the end there where it says, and all the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from when? From the foundation of the world. We'll marvel and it goes on, right? Our names were written, and this is the only time where, in the Bible where it talks about how your name gets written in that book. And what does it say? It was written in that book before the foundation of the world, right? It's not as if there's a book in heaven right now and St. Peter or somebody is standing up there with a, I mean, you got, it's got to be like a feather and a quill, right? And uh, <laughs> he's not using a bic for this, right? Uh, <laughs> writing people's names. That guy prayed the prayer at a Billy Graham crusade. Man, imagine how busy he would be on Billy Graham nights, you know? Like just, oh man, got the... You guys ever do that because you never write anything anymore? And then you have to write something? And now he's like, oh, man, look, at my hand is broken. <laughs> like, you know, anyway, I don't even type anymore. I dictate things to my computer. Anyway, so Peter's up there dictating people's names into his MacBook Pro. Uh, no, that's not how it works. Do you see what happened? Uh, these books were written and sealed up before the foundation of the world. And so when God said, let there be light at the beginning of Genesis and put the world together, however that happened, right? When he did that, there was already a book in heaven, and that book had the name, my name in it. Isn't that cool? Right, my name, Jonathan. Do you guys know my full name? Jonathan Marcus Aurelius Maximus Brackett. No, I'm just kidding. That's the guy from, uh, what's that, Gladiator? Marcus. Anyway, no, my name's John Mark Brackett. I, I don't know if the mark's in there, but maybe it is. But my name was in that book when God said, let there be light. And Jesus says, that's where your joy comes from. And can your name be erased from this book? Again, I don't think so, right? Because look, here's the only time the Bible talks about this. It says, to the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. The only time it talks about being erased from the book, Jesus says specifically, my people's names are in that book. I'm not going to erase any names from that book. That's what he's talking about. The only promise to God's people is your names are in this book, and they're going to be. Your salvation is not based off of how good you are. It's based off of if Jesus is holding you or not. And the, the answer is, or the, the biblical teaching is, he is holding you. 
And so do you see how massive that is? Do you see how that drives our joy? Ministry success is cool, right? Loving our neighbors is cool. All this stuff is great. But that stuff fluctuates. It changes. There are seasons of success, and there are seasons where you're less successful and full of heartache and suffering and joy. I'm sorry, suffering and pain. And so you can't rest your joy, your ultimate hope and your ultimate joy on something that is constantly going like this. Because then what will happen is your entire life will be like this. But if you're going to have that sort of steady, rock-steady faith, your joy has to be sitting on something more solid. And Jesus here in Luke 10 gives us that more solid thing. That you have been redeemed since the foundation of the world. Your name is written in this book. And Jesus is, your salvation is him holding you in his hand, sealed up with the Holy Spirit. Right? And someday you're going to close your eyes in death and you're going to, you're going to open them up and you're going to be in the presence of the Father. And so that is the rock steady truth that keeps us going. Um, but let's take now, let's keep going. Let's look at how the passage ends. Um, uh, Jesus continues in verse 21. It says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So Jesus now rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus was a human being with a nature just like ours, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, um, he pours out and prays. And what does he praise? He thanks God. But what does he thank God for? This is a little weird, right? He thanks God for hiding the truth from some people and revealing it to others. Right? This is that bit about election. Really? That's what Jesus... I mean, it's right there. Read it. Look, it says... That uh, um, you have hidden, I thank the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, but you have revealed them to little children. Right? He doesn't say, Lord, I thank you that as I sent out these 72, um, that tons of people chose to believe. They're seeing the errors. That, that's not what he says. He's kind of echoing language he'll use later on in, chap, in John. Um, do I have these verses? Yeah. Look at this in John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So everybody whose name is written in that book is going to come to Jesus. These are people that the Father has given to Jesus. And then just a couple of verses later, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is rejoicing in this, in Luke chapter 10, that the plan of God, that him and the Father that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they worked out before the foundation of the world is coming to pass. And it's happening with the ministry of these 72. And as he sees it, he bursts out into praise. But jumping back real quick, sorry, let me do this in the slides. Jumping back here, look at what he says. And this is the even more important part than the hiding it, is the revealing it to children. This is what we call in Luke, if you've been with us, we talked a lot about the upside down kingdom. A normal kingdom works like this. You've got the king at the top of the pyramid. Everybody else supports the king. Right? Everybody else is a brick that supports the king. But the kingdom of God is upside down, where Jesus is at the bottom by himself, and he's supporting everybody else. And the idea is, unlike the world where they push their way to the top, we're supposed to push our way to the bottom. And what happens in the kingdom, the upside down kingdom, is... Um, it doesn't look like the kingdom of the world. And that's what Jesus is celebrating here. It's not the people you would expect. It's not the religious scholars and the seminary degrees and these amazing people that are receiving this good news and coming to believe. Who is it? It's children. And what he means by that is not necessarily only kids. 
it's just it's a way in the ancient world for him to just say it's the kind of people you would never expect jesus is taking these barriers that humans have created because of sin barriers of economic status and um, like a race and ethnicity and like talent and all this stuff and it's saying that has no no matter in the kingdom of god that's not the people who are coming to believe all right and then uh, in these next couple of verses he finishes up all things have been handed over to me by the father no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son um, and anyone whom the son chooses to reveal so this is one of those statements where jesus it gets very serious about who he is and he says nobody knows me except the father and the people whose names are written in that book and then he continues he finishes his outburst of joy turning to the disciples he said privately blessed are the eyes that see what you see for i tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see they don't see it and to hear what you hear and they didn't you know they didn't get to hear it okay so this is how he ends it with this blessing now <coughs> in case you didn't notice i like the giants what if i mentioned it five times already and i'm pretty sure that's a giant's hat yeah um, I don't know. I have a lot of hats. I forgot which one I was wearing. Um, <laughs> I like the Giants. Um, uh, but I'm also not an investment banker, right? I'm a church planter. And I've been a pastor for a lot since basically my entire adult life. This means that when me and Melissa go to the Giants games, we sit upstairs. Right? We're in the cheap seats. Uh, well, in the medium cheap seats. Right? We sit behind home plate but way up high um, because that's the seats we can afford. Right? I'd rather go to 10 games up there than one game downstairs, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and so when, when, uh, when we watch games, you know, we're pretty far away. We can kind of see what's going on, but I can't tell if it's a ball or a strike. I can't watch a slider move. Um, I can't tell if it's a two-seam fastball or a cutter, right? Uh, one time, though, one time, I got good seats. And this is what happened. At my old church where I was a pastor, one of the, the people at the church was an usher, and her, she's still at the, at the ballpark we see all the time, but her spot is literally right behind home plate. And so one day, we just went down to say hey to her, and like we always do, and then go up to our cheap seats. And she said, hey, there's a season ticket holder who I'm for sure is not going to be here tonight. <laughs> I, I forget if he told her or something. And she was like, do you want his seats? And we're like, sure, yeah, we'll sit down here. I never got to sit down here before. And so we sat down. This was before the net. We sat down with our feet on the bricks of the front row, just by the visitors dug out there. And I caught one foul ball, and then I missed the second one because it was freezing, and I had my arms inside my shirt like this, and it came and it hit me, and I went like this, and it bounced off my shoulder because I didn't have any arms to grab it. Uh, that's how close we were. But anyway, because we were in the rich seats, uh, the Giants were getting walloped, and uh, uh, what happened was everybody left. And then they came back and they won in a walk-off home run. So I went home and I took a picture of my TV. Benji Molina, if anybody remembers Benji Molina, running down the first baseline with his arms up like this. The entire crowd is empty except for me standing there like this. With my... And Melissa, you can't really see her because she didn't stand up for some reason. I guess she doesn't love the Giants like I do. Anyway, it's pretty much the highlight of my life. Now, here's what, let me tell you why this is important. <laughs> Just because I want to talk about the Giants. No, here's what Jesus is saying is, uh, you guys, you're right behind home plate. Right? You're sitting in the Benji Molina walk-off home run seats. The prophets and these guys in the Old Testament, they're sitting upstairs where John usually sits. Right? They're sitting in uh, section 312 or whatever, and you guys are in section 10, you know, whatever. Um, 
This is the most important event in human history, and you guys get front row seats to see what God is doing. He's fulfilling the mission from before time, right? He's gathering his people, and you, 72, this is what's important, is that your names are written in that book. You are part of that gathering. You aren't going to face the judgment. There's no woe for you guys. It's not going to be worse for Sodom than for you guys. What he tells him is, that's amazing news. So we can't put all of our joy in the things that we do for God. We have to put our joy in the things that God does for us. And it's not until we really, truly, deeply understand that truth that then we can go out and do stuff for God. Because we can only really go out there and engage in that Pabst mission and do all this stuff if at our heart we're not doing it to please God, but because he loves us so much. We're doing it out of love instead of to earn love. I want you guys to be super engaged in the mission of God. Right? Like I said, we're going to take this Pabst Blue Ribbon pathway about, I'll say it again, pray for people, ask them about their life. Right? That's the most important one, is talking and listening to people. We have to be the best listeners in the world. Bless them in ways nobody else would. Share about your story and then talk about the gospel. We are going to beat this Pabst Blue Ribbon thing to death. You are going to hear about this almost every week. You're going to get so annoyed. You're going to hate me and you're never going to want to drink PBR again. Because we want to focus most of our energy on, as a church, uh, even a small church, right, as a missional church that is reaching out. But here's the deal. The mission that I'm constantly going to talk about and I'm constantly going to preach about, that mission cannot and won't work to sustain your joy. It just, it can't. It's not going to do it. It can't bear that weight. Only your redemption can. Only salvation. Only the idea that... Jesus has your eternal life in his hands and he's not letting go. Only that can drive true joy into your heart. Right? So what then about the mission? What do we do about the mission? Well, um, because the mission then isn't ultimate, you can enter into that mission without the pressure. You can be faithful because being faithful doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. Right? I'm going to do this because I've been loved. And if it goes terribly, it's not going to knock me off the joy because I'm still... You know, I'm playing with house money here, right? I've already, I've already been saved. And so it can always only be this. Look at what Jesus did for me. It can never be look at what I did for Jesus. One great example, and this is how we'll end. One great example, and I think I told this story when we did the, the 12, but I mean, when the 12 went out on the same mission. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know, that was in... March or something. So I'll tell the story again. There's a famous pastor. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, and he was a British pastor in London, had a big successful ministry like during World War II kind of then. Um, I think he died in the year I was born, so early 80s. Um, <clears throat> and at one point, so I mean this guy was like the original, you know, one of the original sort of celebrity pastors. He had radio shows and books of his sermons printed and all this stuff. He was a pretty famous dude. And at the end of his life, he was in the middle of a series in the book of Acts, and he got cancer, and he had to stop teaching. So his series on Acts only does the first couple of chapters, and then it just ends. Um, and so one day, he was at home, and he was sick, and he was dying of cancer, and <clears throat> his friend came over. I don't even remember who was a friend. I heard this story like eighth hand, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so his friend comes over, and they're talking, and his friend says to him, man, isn't this killing you? And Jones, Lloyd-Jones says, what do you mean, kill me, you know? Um, you know, you had to stop your Acts series. You don't get to preach every week. Like, don't you love preaching and teaching every week? 
And then Lloyd-Jones opens his Bible and he takes the guy to this passage. And he reads this verse. You know, don't rejoice that the demons are subject. Like, don't rejoice in your ministry success. Rejoice that your name is written, right, in the book of life. This was like his verse. As an old dying pastor, this is what he wanted to teach the younger generation. And I think the reason he had ministry success the way that he did was because it wasn't his ultimate joy. And you could see that. His ultimate joy was in his redemption. And that is the kind of church... Um, that I want us to be, right? I don't want us to be out there saying, oh, look at all this stuff that I did for Jesus, right? Like that group that shows up, you know, that verse, it's terrifying, uh, where Jesus says, in in eternity, a whole bunch of people are going to show up, and they're going to say, Jesus, look what we did. We cast out demons, we healed people, we did all this stuff in your name. And then Jesus is going to say, it's like one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. I'm paraphrasing, this is the New John Version. But he goes, "Uh, I don't even know you. You know, uh, you know, exits back there, guys. Sorry. <laughs> like, I have no idea who you are. You're coming to me with, here's what I did for you. It's, that's not how it works. So I want us to be that church that the ultimate joy is not here what I did for you. Here's what I did for you. But Lord, look what you did for me. Right? And that's the only true foundation. Right? All right, let's pray.